Last week, I touched on how mobile has continued its invasion of the brick-and-mortar shopping experience, with Google enabling users to see how busy a store is at any given time. Today, I'll touch on the upcoming Amazon Go stores, which they're hoping will reinvent the way people do grocery shopping. Plus, so-called flat design is one of the most prominent design trends of the day. We'll take a look at an article that challenges a common myth that a flatter, more plain design equals a better user experience. Lastly, we'll talk about color psychology and how the colors you use can have a dramatic impact on your brand's influence. All this and more on The Rightly Designed Show. No man who cares about originality will ever be original. It's the man who's only thinking about doing a good job or telling the truth who becomes really original and doesn't notice. You're listening to the fusion of form and function. This is the Rightly Designed Show. Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Thomas and this is the Rightly Designed Show, 888-727-1496. That's 888-727-1496 if you'd like to call in and ask a question for the program. So lots to get to today. And the first thing I wanted to spend a little bit of time on was a new service or a new store, brick and mortar store that Amazon is launching uh, actually up here in Seattle, Washington, and it's called Amazon Go. And the basic idea behind it is to kind of revolutionize the way that people buy groceries or the way that people do their whole brick and mortar shopping experience. So up in Seattle, they already have... Uh, a brick and mortar shop that I've seen personally. I haven't been in the shop, but Amazon has a bookstore. So it's like an Amazon bookstore. And I don't know that there's actually anything special or not in it. Uh, but this is something completely new. They're, again, trying to revolutionize the way that people do their shopping. And to give you a good idea of what it is and what it's all about, I'm just going to play the audio real quick from the ad spot that Amazon recently released. And again, it just gives you a little bit of the details of what's behind it. Four years ago, we started to wonder, what would shopping look like if you could walk into a store, grab what you want, and just go? What if we could weave the most advanced machine learning, computer vision, and AI into the very fabric of a store so you never have to wait in line? No lines, no checkouts, no registers. Welcome to Amazon Go. Use the Amazon Go app to enter. Then put away your phone and start shopping. It's really that simple. Take whatever you like. Anything you pick up is automatically added to your virtual cart. If you change your mind about that cupcake, just put it back. Our technology will update your virtual cart automatically. So how does it work? We used computer vision, deep learning algorithms, and sensor fusion, much like you'd find in self-driving cars. We call it Just Walk Out Technology. Once you've got everything you want, you can just go. When you leave, our Just Walk Out technology adds up your virtual cart and charges your Amazon account. Your receipt is sent straight to the app, and you can keep going. Amazon Go. No lines, no checkout. No, 
seriously. Okay, so that gives you a pretty good idea of what Amazon's planning on, on doing with this new store service, with this new store setup. And it's a pretty interesting approach. I talked about last week how Google was enabling people to be able to see from their smartphones or from really any device uh, how busy stores were. So there's kind of this invasion taking place inside, you know, with software giants and tech giants and online retailing giants. And, there, you know, this invasion kind of into the brick-and-mortar shopping experience. So this is kind of another example of this. But an interesting point that I wanted to make in addition to that or kind of in a different direction was how these bigger brands serve as a good example sometimes of how they don't necessarily follow trends. They're kind of trailblazers in a sense, meaning that the concept has been tossed around for a while of being able to create a little, a little bit more of a technologically advanced shopping experience when it comes to a physical shopping experience. So Amazon, as we all know, has been well known ever since uh, the creation of this, you know, of the online shopping site, that it's the place where you go to buy everything. So online shopping or shopping in general has been Amazon's thing. So to step out and to create an innovative approach to the, you know, physical shopping experience is a natural extension of Amazon's current brand. So if nothing else, it serves as an example that the best brands, the most prominent brands out there, are the ones that are pushing innovation, not following it. Apple is another one that comes to mind every, you know, the Apple came out with the iPhone and then tons of other, you know, companies out there offered something that was similar. They were first to market and then everybody else just kind of creates iterations, even if it's technically better than the iPhone. A lot of people perceive Apple as the best if for no other reason than because they were there first. Again, they're the trailblazers. The same thing with the iPad. There were other things out there that were kind of similar, but it was the iPad that kind of revolutionized the way that people interact with a device of that size. So Amazon's doing something a little bit similar here. There's already the concept of shopping, you know, at a brick and mortar sh store. There's already, an, you know, different examples of apps and things that you can do to make that shopping experience a little bit more, you know, user-friendly, but this is kind of a leap beyond that. So if nothing else, there's an example, as, you know, we are bu building our own brands, while we may not ne necessarily have the infrastructure to be able to create something this intense, you know, we can't necessarily do a full-scale online, you know, a full-scale brick-and-mortar shopping experience. But there are definitely ways in our categories and in our markets that we can learn from these bigger brands in terms of, uh, trailblazing, taking steps and leaps and bounds that go outside of even the norms or the trends of what other people are doing, and again, becoming a leader in our industry rather than just trend or trend followers or people who just kind of go along with the flow. So that was definitely an interesting story to touch on. And again, there's a lot of different branding lessons that can always be taken from big companies taking uh, big steps in new directions. Kind of changing gears a little bit, um, there's an interesting article I came across recently, and it was called Dispelling a Flat Design Fiction. Now, flat design, if you're not familiar with it, is a really popular trend right now. And flat design is essentially, well, you see it pretty much everywhere. Pretty much every website you see these days has this flat design. And the flat design is, you know, the flat square or sometimes round buttons, a limited color palette, 
no background images or textures, maybe some limited gradients, but not a lot of detail in the design. And I'm talking specifically about web design. It's, it's a lot different for other mediums, you know, in terms of print advertising and, you know, book cover design and other things. Uh, web ads even have their own kind of sphere in terms of how they are, you know, they've been designed. But I'll just go ahead and dive into it and just kind of... Uh, share some of my thoughts as well after I kind of go through uh, a couple of parts of the article. But it says, Droves of the Internet's design writers think uh, drink from the same metaphorical watering hole. A cursory search of the design industry's buzz phrases, such as user experience, flat design, innovation, and content is king, yields much interchangeable rubbish. Today I find I feel compelled to debunk one hulking chunk of rubbish that has gone unchallenged for too long. The, uns, uh, the unsubstantiated claim that flat design always represents a better user experience. Taken literally, the term flat design refers to digital design that lacks dimension. It does not attempt to simulate light, shadow, or perspective. For instance, according to flat design, a button on a screen should not resemble a real button. So in the article, he shows kind of an example of this. It's just a flat, you know, rounded rectangle with the word button in it. And it says, a button, according to the flat design philosophy, notice the absence of texture, shadows, and other details that would suggest three dimension, uh, three, a three-dimensional shape. For the practitioners of this approach, however, the term flat design can refer to a slew of loosely related style cues. Bright and saturated colors prevail. Uh, and, uh, you know, anything more complex is scowled at. Writer Tom May and designer Luke Klum define flat design is in this creative block article claiming that the design philosophy represents a better user experience. And he quotes this article and it says, Flat design is a minimalistic design approach that, util that emphasizes usability. This raw functionality forces a site's focus to be on the user experience, so websites that employ this design style successfully are likely to receive positive feedback as being user-friendly. The writer goes on, he says, I submit my counter-argument. Flat design does not and cannot lay exclusive claim on user-friendliness or usability. Any design, flat or otherwise, can be user-friendly. Claiming that flat design emphasizes usability is akin to claiming my political party emphasizes progress. Those who support that political party tend to agree with that statement. Those who oppose that political party tend to disagree. At least one entire company parrots the same argument as Messrs. May and Klum. Uh, this LG marketing video, poorly written and therefore especially convoluted, tries to justify the company's mobile operating system redesign. And again, he quotes, As we added more and more fancy visual elements in order to catch, users, uh, catch customers' attention, we started to realize that the essential user experience was somewhat overlooked. So to, to return our focus on the true customer value, we changed the role of graphics into a faithful supporter. For users to focus on the content itself, we removed unnecessary graphics, visual clutter, and redesigned the entire GUI with simple graphics. So again, the writer continues and he says, LG's changed from fancy and unnecessary, and again he says, in whose opinion, graphics to quote-unquote simple ones did not emphasize user experience. It simply swapped one interface design out for another. This new design may or may not have offered a different user experience. He goes on, he says, on the topic of focusing on the content, has any person in the world ever been genuinely distracted by operating system graphics? I leave that question to you, 
the reader. So the author goes on for quite a while, and I wanted to highlight this because it it really underscored and it was it did a good job of articulating something that I've noticed myself for a long time, which is in the design industry and with a lot of graphic designers and web developers, there's these buzz phrases that just kind of get tossed around a lot. So if you're at all familiar with the design industry or if you've worked with designers, you've probably come across these. And again, they highlight them here. They're things like usability, uh, user experience, you know, flat design, innovation, content is king. These things all have their place. But the problem is, as you've kind of heard through these examples, they just kind of get tossed around like buzz phrases that don't mean anything. Like they're not being quantified or they're not being backed up with at least a logical explanation as to why they create a better user experience. For example, flat design is a minimalistic design approach that emphasizes usability. But the question is never answered, okay, well, how does not having shadows, textures, uh, and gradients create a better user experience? How does that happen? Well, the answer to the question, it doesn't. So that's just kind of, again, it's one of those things that get tossed around and it's kind of the fluff that gets thrown out there. If at all possible, the best way to test whether or not a design works is with numbers, with data, uh, or even with client feedback or customer feedback, it, getting a little bit of a feedback. Does this texture, or this gradient, or this look and feel of this website make it any better or worse as a user? And here's kind of the, the point that I wanted to underscore is that there's two sides to good design and that's form and function. There's the way that it looks and there's the way that it works. And there's two way and those two things, the way that they're intermarried with each other makes the best possible design. So when it comes to having textures or when it comes to having, you know, different styles or the different, you know, rounded buttons or, you know, the color palette textures or gradients or all those different things fall under the form category. Those are the way that it looks, right? Whether or not I place a button on the right or on the left is the way that it works. How I arrange my navigation is the way that it works. Whether I place my sidebar on the right or on the left is the way that it works. So that you have to draw a distinction. There's differentiation between the way that something works and the way that something looks. And I think that's kind of what a lot of designers fail to do. And you have to be able to capture both sides of those for something to work effectively. So when we're talking about user experience, we're talking about how easy is it for somebody to use that website. That's technically user, you know, that's usability. But as an extension of that, it creates a strong usability or user experience based upon how it works. So I think that's a good clarification to make and something to kind of highlight here as you're moving forward or as you're working with designers or developers, you know, not necessarily to buy into the whole argument that, you know, putting texture on a button necessarily makes the user experience good or bad. It really doesn't. And when it comes to, you know, deciding whether or not to use textures or, you know, going into the actual form end of things. The determination there, again, isn't something that follows trends or that the designer or even, you know, the end client necessarily likes. The goal is to make what fits the brand best. And that's always the end goal. And the same goes for a user experience as well. But just some uh, an interesting article, and it just highlights some good points with some different trends that have been going on specifically in the design in the design field. and A lot of people who are working with designers and web developers. So today's main topic that I wanted to take some time to jump into was the psychology of color and what that means for a brand and some different interesting studies that have been done in recent years that help highlight what different colors mean, what they're useful for, and some of the emotions that they invoke. 
But before I do that, I wanted to take a quick moment to mention today's sponsor, and that is ConvertKit. So ConvertKit is a really powerful email automation and marketing tool. If you've never heard of it before, if you've never tried it out, it makes your email marketing super easy. So I've tried out a whole bunch of these other different uh, email service providers or email marketing tools I've tried. Uh, you know, there's I think there's Active Campaign, Constant Contact, MailChimp. There's a ton of them out there. But all of them just kind of are hit or miss in terms of the features that you actually need. Most of these different email service providers make it a total pain to actually manage your, your list of subscribers. So, for example, if you want to create like, you know, three or four different forms through which people can sign up and opt in or, you know, download specific free resources or something like that. What ends up happening usually is that you just get this massive collection of duplicates. So like if, you know, somebody fills out form A and then fills out form B, they get added twice to your list, which has a lot of problems. A, your, you know, your potential, uh, the people you're emailing end up with multiple copies of your emails. And then also you end up having to pay more because most of these places charge you by the email subscriber. So ConvertKit has completely eliminated a lot of these problems and they've got a really dynamic tagging system which enables you to create these automated workflows which enables you to automatically tag people and their API as a web developer I can tell you their API is amazing so it integrates with all sorts of other applications like type forms so that when somebody fills out one of your forms you can automatically add them to a list uh, so their API is great and it also, you know, it just works seamlessly with so many other services that so, you know, that most of us use every day to make our lives easier. So definitely check out ConvertKit if you haven't already. Now, as a listener to the Rightly Designed show, uh, they're actually going to offer you a 30-day free trial if you go to this link. Uh, and you can test it out. You can upload your email list. You can even send out a few emails. Uh, but definitely give it a try, especially if you're using something else and you're not necessarily happy with it. So if you'd like to give that 30-day free trial a try, go to rightlydesigned.com slash convertkit. Again, that's rightlydesigned.com slash convertkit. Have a question for the show? Feel free to visit rightlydesigned.com slash question or call 888-727-1496. Okay, so today's main topic is color psychology and how does it affect your brand or how does it affect the way that your brand can influence different people. So this is going to be specifically with your brand touch points or your brand identity. So things like your logo, your website, your print advertising, you know, all the different visual mediums that you have. So a interesting article that was updated just recently by Kendra Cherry uh, actually touches on some of the you know important points about the psych the color the psychology of color. So here's just a, a few short portions from that. It says, do you feel anxious in a yellow room? Does the color blue make you feel calm and relaxed? Artists and interior designers have long understood how, col how color can dramatically affect moods, feelings, and emotions. It is a powerful communication tool and can be used to signal action, influence mood, and cause uh, physiological reactions. 
Despite, despite the general lack of research in this area, the concept of color psychology has become a hot, to, a hot topic in marketing, art, design, and other areas. Much of the evidence in this, emerging area, uh, in this emerging area is anecdotal at best, but researchers and experts have made a few important discoveries and observations about the psychology of color and the effect it has on moods, feelings, and behaviors. Of course, your feelings about color are often deeply and personally rooted in your own personal experience. But it goes on and it says, while perceptions of color are somewhat subjective, there are some color effects that have universal meaning. Colors in the red area of the color spectrum are known as warm colors and include red, orange, and yellow. These warm colors evoke emotions ranging from feelings of warmth and comfort to feelings of anger and hostility. Colors on the blue side of the spectrum are known as cool colors and include blue, purple, and green. These colors are often described as calm, but can also call to mind feelings of sadness or indifference. So there's a lot of different things that kind of go into, you know, there's a lot of different ways that color can be important when it comes to your visual brand identity. But what I was highlighting there, what I thought that was uh, pretty important to, you know, just touch on is the fact that a lot of this is kind of gray area. You know, there's been a lot of different studies done. Uh, in terms of what different colors mean. And so some of the results are highly fascinating. But I mentioned, I read that that portion, or you can actually check out the full article. They've got some interesting studies in there and some other things as well. And again, that'll be at uh, today's show notes. But I, I preface some of this color information with you know just the, the notion that uh, as important as color can be and, you know, how important it is to building our brand, some of this you kind of have to take with a grain of salt because it's very, as a lot of design things and visual things are, it's very subjective for each person. However, they're, you know, again, they've done a lot of research and a lot of studies, or at least marketers have specifically. There hasn't been a lot of scientific study, but a lot of marketing research has done, has been done as to why different colors, you know, invoke different feelings and different emotions in people. And in a book called Brand Aid, um, the author Brand Van Auken actually touched on this specifically, and he had some pretty fascinating findings. So I'm just going to go through those really quick. And it says, color is an important consideration in your brand identity system. Colors have a significant impact on people's emotional state. They also have been shown to impact people's ability to concentrate and learn. They have a wide variety of specific mental associations. In fact, the effects are uh, physiological, psychological, and sociological. For instance, and this is where he kind of dives into some of the different specific findings. Non-primary colors are more calming than primary colors. Blue is the most calming of the primary colors, followed closely by a lighter red. Test takers and weightlifters perform better in blue rooms. Blue text increases reading retention. Yellow evokes cheerfulness. Houses with yellow trim or flower gardens sell faster. Reds and oranges, uh, reds and oranges encourage diners to eat quickly and leave. Red also makes food more appealing and influences people to eat more. It is no coincidence that fast food restaurants often use these colors. Pink enhances appetites and it has been shown to calm prison inmates. Odd one, but supposedly according to the studies it has. Blue and black suppress appetites. Children prefer primary colors. Notice that children's toys and books often use these colors. Yeah, so if you take, you know, a quick moment even as you're at your local grocery store or as you're at the bookstore, you'll notice 
this one is pretty common that children's colors are usually of the primary, you know, side of the color spectrum, and they're always vi uh, bright and vibrant. So that's pre that's pretty standard throughout most design and, and marketing efforts. Forest green and burgundy appeal to the, the wealthiest 3% of Americans and often raise the perceived price of an item. Violet is often associated with spirituality, royalty, and quality. Orange is often used to make an expensive item seem less expensive. Red clothing can convey power. Most people, 76%, associate speed with the color red. White is typically associated with being cool, clean, and fresh. Red is often associated with Christmas and orange with Halloween and Thanksgiving. Black clothes make people look thinner. Black is associated with elegance, sophistication, and mystery. Black is the favorite color of goths. Fun is mostly associated with orange, yellow, purple, and red. Trust is mostly associated with blue and white. High quality, high, techno uh, high technology, and reliability slash dependability are most associated with black and blue. So a lot of different things to unpack there, but the interesting thing that you find throughout all of these is that, or the underlying theme behind all of these, is an emotion that's conveyed. So when it comes to building your brand and when it comes to creating brand, you know, visual brand identity or the different elements, this is where it becomes really important to determine a personality that fits your brand. So if your brand is you, so if you've got, you know, a personal brand that you're trying to build, if maybe you're an author or writer or, you know, a, a coach or a speaker, then it, it becomes really important to really nail down what your personality is and to convey that through your branding message, whether it's warm and friendly, whether it's more serious and professional or whether, you know, whatever that personality is that you want to convey to people, uh, that's where your colors are actually going to come in pretty important. So again, I mentioned, as I mentioned previously, this isn't an exact science, but it does kind of give a little bit of insight as to how different colors can be used different ways strategically rather than, you know, the common approach, which is to just pick a color because maybe, you know, an individual likes it or, you know, for a different reason that's similar. So some uh, other interesting findings uh, in terms of, you know, color. Favorite colors among American consumers ranked, which is pretty interesting. Number one is blue. Number two is red. Number three is green. Number four is white. Number five is pink. Number six is purple. Number seven is orange. And number eight is yellow. So this one really shouldn't be too surprising, at least the number one. If you if you're like me and you take a look at you know quite a few different logos and brands or right? even casually look at logos and brands, you'll notice that blue is pretty popular. I would prefer the term maybe overused in the in the sense that everything is blue. If you look at you know Facebook and Twitter are both blue and they're both prominent social media uh, companies. And you've got you know even like Walmart has gone full blue with a lot of their branding. There's just huge not not just big brands everyone uses blue so there's nothing really wrong with using blue it's just everybody's favorite color so it gets used a lot uh, so the study also goes on and it says and you know on the topic of everybody's favorite color uh, among men men's favorite color is blue 
by 57% or at 57% and followed by green at 14%. Women's favorite colors are blue at 35% and purple at 23%. So when I say that, you know, everybody's favorite color is blue, of course, that's being a little bit, uh, you know, facetious, but uh, the majority of people uh, prefer blue and that is like their favorite color. So it you do see that reflected in a lot of brands. But the interesting thing about a lot of these different studies that have been done and the emotions that get evoked, you know, become evoked by these different colors is that they can get you thinking in a little bit more of a strategic approach as to why different colors are used. So this doesn't necessarily have to be necessarily in your logo design. Again, book jackets, advertising, you know, campaigns that you do, email designs, anything that color in, in which color is used. It's always great to be able to start taking a little bit more of a strategic approach. So in addition to the specific emotions that are, you know, made prominent through these different colors, readability is also pretty important as well. So readability and the functionality of specific colors have also been researched and studied and, and they get, they're outlined in this, uh, this chapter as well. And it says colors also have a functional impact on readability, eye strain, the ability to attract attention and the ability to be seen at night. These factors are important in choosing colors for signing, website pages, print ads, and other marketing media. The most visible color is yellow. The most legible of all color combinations are yellow, or sorry, black on yellow, and green on white, followed by red on white. It's no surprise that most traffic signs use these color combinations. Black on white is easiest to read on paper and on computer screens. Hard colors, red, orange, and yellow, are more visible and tend to make objects look larger and closer. They are easier to focus on. They create excitement and cause people to overestimate available time. So that's an interesting tidbit. Soft colors, violet, blue, and green, are less visible and tend to make objects look smaller and further away. They aren't as easy to focus on. They have a calming effect, increase concentration, and cause people to underestimate remaining time. So some really interesting things to take away, you know, in terms of some of the psychology and the studies that have been done. Again, we always have to take those things with a grain of salt, but they give you some direction or some ideas when it comes to crafting specific design elements. So if you are a designer or you're working with a designer, these are good things to keep in mind. You know, especially when it comes to, are you targeting children? Are you targeting men? Are you targeting women? Are you, you know, what is the specific demographic of the people that you're trying to target? Uh, you know, even the, the income range, you know, the area of the world or the area of the United States or wherever it is, you know, geographically, there's a lot of different things to, to keep in mind when it comes to those things. So there's the consumer end or the people you're trying to reach to, to dictate, determine the colors palette that you choose. But in addition to the color palette, you know, in addition to the demographic you're trying to reach, it also, and even more importantly, needs to reflect the type of brand you're trying to build. So I touched on previously the importance of determining your brand's personality. So again, if you're a personal, if you're building a personal brand, that's generally going to be your personality. So again, you ask the question, is this brand warm and friendly? Is it more comical? Is it more serious? Is it professional? You know, those different things kind of, you know, those different personalities can be conveyed well with specific colors. So I touched on in a previous episode, typography and how different type styles can be used in a similar fashion to convey a 
person to a, to convey a personality or a mood. So when you begin to combine these things, so a typeface that accurately conveys a specific mood, you can combine that with a color palette that does the same thing. So there's a lot of different tools out there for you know creating color palettes if that's something you want to do. Again, if you uh, and and the best option would be of course always to you know work with a designer if you're not a designer yourself. But it's always good when you're developing specific color palettes and, you know, working with typography or again, even if you're not designing it yourself, even if you're working with a designer to have in the back of your mind, a basic idea of some of the psychology that goes into some of this, the colors or what works well with different colors or what different colors mean to different people can help direct your brand in the right direction. So everything that I've kind of covered here, so a lot of the things that make this successful for you, or what this information, how it makes this information helpful for you, is just having a strategic approach to how you implement the different elements of your brand. And in this case, specifically your brand identity. So I just wanted to take some time or just, you know, take an episode to dedicate to color and, and to some of the psychology specifically. Maybe in a future episode, I'll go more in depth into color theory, which is it kind of in line with this, uh, with this specific topic, but uh, goes into greater detail with actually arranging specific color palettes for different uses and different types of brands and different styles. So that would probably be an episode in and of itself. But again, I hope you found this useful. If you'd like to check out any of the articles that I mentioned in this or even the study I've referenced throughout this episode, you can do that at today's show notes, and that's at rightlydesignedshow.com slash 37. And as always, if you ever have a question for the show, you can visit rightlydesign.com slash question or call 888-727-1496. So thanks so much for listening to The Rightly Design Show, and we'll see you next week. Enjoying the Rightly Designed show? Please consider taking a quick moment to leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or the channel of your choice. Visit rightlydesigned.com show for links to these channels and